All right, everyone. Hi, it's Mark. We're going to start. I just uh, would ask everyone to mute their phones. Able to. Um, my whole team is on the line, so Amanda's here and Sam right here, so they'll help with um, both the slides and muting people as they join the call. Um, so it's a little bit after 12, so let me get started. The agenda for today is as follows. One, I want to give you a quick update as to how we're functioning as a firm operationally. Um, two, I'll talk a little bit about the selling pressure and what's going on in the markets. I'll include in a, a brief discussion on the municipal market, broadly how we're thinking about the economy, and um, a quick note on required minimum distributions and some of the laws that have changed given the CARES Act that was passed last week. And then I'll move on to the slides, which walk through four, I think, very timely questions about asset allocation and planning in a bear market. So with that, let me tell you where we stand as a firm. When we did this call two weeks ago today, we were uh, half staff in the office, half outside the office, and I told you I anticipated that would change rather quickly. That changed the very next day. We are effectively a um, small skeletal staff in the office in New York, just um, doing the mail reporting checks, et cetera. Everyone else is working remotely. And I will tell you, it has been an entirely seamless process to have 3,000 employees globally all working remotely around the country and world. And it really has no impact on our ability to service clients, do research, and trade markets is, is astonishing. So um, you should feel completely comfortable that although no one is in their office location, are 100% fully functional. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a feel for where I am, my family and I left New York City about a week ago. We're up in Monticello. Financial advice probably since uh, Grossinger's and and um, the Pines and places like that closed in the 60s, but I'm outside of the city in Sullivan County, safe at home. Um, all of that said, What's going on in the market, we think, has been an uh, incredible amount of deleveraging. And, and said in simple terms, what that means is that there has been many more sellers to the market than there has been buyers. And when I say sellers, I mean sellers of virtually anything, whether it was stocks, corporate credit, U.S. treasuries, municipal bonds. There were significantly more people trying to sell their assets and reposition than buy. And when you have much more sellers than buyers, what you have is a non-equilibrium in the market, and that creates terrible pricing. I think maybe the best example I can give you of this is if you think about potentially your home. So think about if all the homes on your block were nearly identical, and let's just say all those homes were a million dollars, and on one given day, everyone on the block went to sell their home and had to sell it virtually immediately because they had to get out of their house for whatever reason. I have no intention of selling. And there's one buyer. That person is not going to buy a house on your block for a million dollars when the other 10 houses all need to sell, right? That person is going to wind up buying a home on your block for $900,000, $800,000, Because a seller desperately wants to sell his home before his neighbor to the left or right. And what happens is if you had no interest in selling, right, all of a sudden the like home on your street has now just traded for $700,000 and you've got to kind of mark your home no longer as a million dollar home, but at that moment in time, it's a $700,000 home. Now, people don't price their home every day, right? There now is a comp on your block for a similar home for $700,000. And in markets, 
that's exactly how we have to think about things. And we have to price it to what it's worth at the moment. And there has been a giant disconnect between the amount of people trying to get out and the amount of people buying. That has been unfortunately created what we call very bad price discovery in markets, especially in the bond and credit markets. What the government has tried to do essentially to buy, say, hey, we'll buy. If you guys need to sell, we'll we'll buy from you at the right price. We'll make the market in securities. And so we think that has helped. The best example of this might be in the municipal bond market. To give an example, you all know 10-year treasuries are trading below one. You could buy last week a triple A rated muni that was trading at two, three, four times the interest rate of a similar rated taxable treasury. Now, it is fair to say treasuries don't default, but I will tell you our research suggests that AAA rated munis default basically one in a thousand times. The cumulative 10-year default rate is 0.1%. So we think that was a great example of, of complete disorder in a market like the muni market that's typically highly orderly. And to give you some feel, the Fed injected money into the muni market last week, and municipal bonds of credit quality were up roughly 7% for the week. That is unheard of. And so that's a, that's a great example of price discovery going away, prices falling, and when people injected to the market, order coming back, and prices rallying dramatically. So how are we thinking about the economy today? For those of you who, who know or listen to Eric Winograd, our chief U.S. economist, I think he frames it nicely. He says, we've got to think about this on three fronts, the health, the monetary policy, and the fiscal policy response. The health one is really largely around this notion of social distancing and, and how the government will enact and, and deal with those strategies. And, and those seem to be um, moving in direction. The second is monetary policy perspective, which is the Fed. And the third is the fiscal, which was the $2 trillion, which was done by, Gov by Congress last week. I would think of it this way. Think of the monetary policy as the job of repairing markets. And that's where the Fed injects capital into markets to maintain their orderly function, right? What they don't want to happen is a health crisis become not only an economic crisis, but a financial crisis to the system. And we think they've done a pretty good job of that so far of playing whack-a-mole, where an issue rises up, whether it's in the investment-grade bond market, the commercial paper market, the overnight lending market, or in the mini market, injecting capital to stabilize that market. The response to Congress is about replacing the losses. So think about this as government trying to repair markets and replace the loss of income. And that $2 trillion is designed on the replacement function. So that when the world returns to normal, whether that's three, six, nine, 12 months from now, that the income that was lost is replaced as much as possible, whether that's through small business loans, whether it's through increased small business insurance, whether it's um, increases in the unemployment benefits or the $1,200 a month checks you've seen, all of that is to try and replace the loss of income and continue to have the economy function between now and the other side. We think the government, the fact that they could get a $2 trillion deal done quickly, relatively quickly, is encouraging. There's been a lot of talk of um, lawmakers talking that they're willing to do more should markets require it. 
We, we think that's encouraging. And, and I would say this is nuanced, but typically when you have a really big bill or spending bill, even in a crisis, the haggling between left and right Democrats and Republicans is usually about getting money out of the bill. This time it was about getting more and more money into the bill. And so we think that's the right frame of mind. So, so far, governments have done a decent job of that repair and replace function. And when I spoke to you two weeks ago, I thought the first thing that would help stabilize markets was the was the fiscal and monetary policy response. We saw that last week in spades. That by no means this crisis is over. The next part, which is clearly the question mark, is is when the health side gets better or the data is more um, known about what mortality rates are, what fatality rates are, how many people have or haven't been infected, and, and when the health solution can get us to where normalcy returns, we clearly don't have the answer to that yet. And, and, and we're encouraged that government will continue to bridge the gap between now and then. Okay, last thing, RMDs, um, required minimum distributions. For a number of clients on this call, you're of age where you have required minimum distributions from your IRAs. The, the CARES Act that was passed last week says those are no longer required for 2020. Okay, so if you were taking required minimum distributions, not because you needed the money for your own living expenses, but because the government was making you take it out, I'd encourage you to reach out to, to my team, to myself, to Amanda, and talk to us about that. Um, one of two things, you might say, hey, I, I still need that money to live, but if I don't have to take it out of my IRA, it would be more tax savvy for us to take it out of your joint or personal accounts as opposed to the IRA withdrawals. You may also just be taking the required minimum distributions because you don't need it for living expenses, but you're required to, and now you're not required to, so, so we can help you just shut that off entirely. So if you're in the required minimum distribution phase of your life and you want to have a talk with us about how to be more thoughtful about strategizing around that, please reach out, shoot us an email, give us a call, and we can um, think that through with you. Okay, with those comments, I'm going to move on to the slide deck, which you should all have up on your Zooms, entitled Planning in Bear Markets. I'm going to break this into essentially four questions, and the next slide asks the first question, are markets like this included in our wealth forecasting analysis? Many of you have gone through with me and Amanda projections about your financial plan over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And on the next slide, slide two, I realize some of you will listen to this later just as a call. And so I will reference the slide numbers here, even if you don't see it on the screen, um, so that people who are hearing after can track it their own. The answer to the question is, have we thought about this type of market? And the answer is 100% yes. In our models, we have it's where stocks are down, not 20 or 30%, but 40, 50, 60%. What we never do in the model is tell you why, right? It doesn't say it's down 50 or 60% because of an oil shock. It doesn't say it's down 50 or 60% because of a coronavirus or because of trade policy. It says that they are down that much. And on this slide, what we've put together is four different asset allocations. On the left, ranging from 40% stock, 70 bonds, to a 50-50 stock bond, so a 70 stock, 30 bond to 100% stock portfolio. And what I'm trying to show on this is the likelihood that we had projected your portfolio would be down 10, 20, or 30%. And 
I'll take you all the way to the right-hand side of the page, 100% stock. This chart showed you that a 30% decline, which is what we just experienced, we believed was a 50-50 likelihood. So this should give you some confidence that we had projected that markets would be down this much. Even in a 70-30 stock to bond portfolio, we anticipated a 50-50 shot that a portfolio would be down 20%. They haven't touched 20%, they've floated around that. I think this should give you some confidence that we've thought about this level of investment plan, okay? The next question we often get is question two, how long will the market take to rebound on page three? And on slide four, I show since World War II, going back to 1946, up until today's market sell-off. What's the length of period of time from the market to go from its high point to its low? What was the percentage of that decline? That's the peak to trough fall. How long did it take to get to the peak? How long from the start was it for us to be down 20%? And then what was the 12 month return following the bottom? And I'll take you down to the bottom of the chart, which is the average, excluding this experience today. On average from the bottom, it takes about a year and a quarter, 16 months. We don't know where the bottom is. It may have been set last week. We, we may still not have found the bottom. You've heard many people talk about 1987 because this feels the most like 1987 because it was two months. I think many people's experience reflects back on 2007, 8, 9, which was the Great Recession, financial crisis, housing crisis, that's 17 months. Peak to trough in 07 to 09 was 55% down on the S&P 500. Here we're down 30%. Look back again to 1987, very quickly down 33%. So that's why so many people are referencing 87 in this period of time. The recovery on average takes about three years. There are periods like 1966, 1980, 1987, where the recovery back to the peak was roughly two years. There are other periods of time where it was much more extended. The great financial crisis ran just over four years. Also, we talk about from the start to down 20%, so that's initial shock. This is the quickest we've seen. In three weeks, we were down 20%, boom. But here's an important data point. When you get to the bottom, and I can't tell you for sure now whether or not the bottom was last week or it's still to come, the 12 months following the bottom, markets snap back fast. And I think most of us forget that when the market bottomed on March 8th of 2009, the following 12, market, 12, week, 12 months, excuse me, the market was up 72%. On average, markets snap back 44% in the first year. And so if you miss that initial burst, you really hurt your long-term rate of return, okay? So people think it'll be a gradual bump back or markets will jump up by 10 to 15% and then they'll go back to their steady trajectory. And what really happens is there is a very quick initial snap before you get to the back to the peak recovery data. So let me take you ahead to page five, which is the third question we often get. 
should I switch to a more conservative asset allocation given the environment? Now, the slide forward on page six, for our clients use our dynamic asset allocation service, the risk management service, you know that you've been on average about 10, 15% underweight stock throughout the crisis. There are times where we've been a little bit more overweight stock, excuse me, overweight bonds and underweight stock. There have been times where we've lessened up on that, but we've been about 10 to 15% underweight stock, weight passion bonds. That said, if your portfolio is down 20%, okay, you had a million dollar portfolio, it's lost 20%, and you say, okay, I've just experienced a 20% loss, I'm not comfortable with this, maybe I need to get more conservative now because I'm just worried about how much damage I'm gonna inflict from here forward. This chart looks at, under the framework of a 70 stock, 30 bond allocation, what's the probability from here? I've already lost 20%, I lose another 20%, if I stay the course with my 70-30, or I de-risk down to a 50-50, I de-risk down only to 30% stock, so I'm cutting my stock by more than half, or I de-risk down all the way to 10% stock, 90% bonds. We could redo this chart with any different starting point, but I use 70-30 as a, as, a, as a broad proxy that I thought a lot of people could relate to. And so if you stay 70-30 today, there is a 50-50 shot in our view that you're down another 20%. And I recognize that's real and that hurts. If you de-risk down to 50-50, you materially reduce that risk from a 50-50 shot, a coin toss, that you lose another 20%, to a very low likelihood of 18% of being down another 20%. If you go to 30, 70, or 10, 90, it's virtually off the table. The consequence of doing that is that the time until you regain your peak, in this example, a million dollar peak down to 800,000 gets back up to a million dollars, is how long it takes you to recover. And so our estimate from here is that Typical recovery, although historically, most recoveries have been quicker than typical, a 30 allocation will regain its prior value in five years. That's our predictions from here going forward. If you look at the prior chart, you'd see it's typically quicker than that, but the, the forward looking from today is five years. If we have a great recovery, in two years, you're back to where you started. If we have a poor recovery, it's slower, it's robust growth, it's 16 years. That is a very high outlier. If you de-risk down to 50-50, that five-year recovery is now stretched to seven. Even if markets are great, that two goes to three years. Same thing as you go to 30-70 or 10-90. You're just lengthening the time until you get back to where you were. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong to do any of these, but I wanted to frame it in. If I'm trying to stop the losses, What's the consequence on how long it takes me to get back to where I was? So I framed it under the notion of time. Now, the other question we get is question four on slide seven. What if I just go to cash until things are more stable? Like nothing feels like the place to be today. Now, with markets of 450 points today, as I'm speaking, and last week being the best week in the market since 1931, I recognize that this may not be as acute as a feeling for clients as it was a week ago, but I, will, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. So it could be today, it could be later this week, it could be a month from now. 
where markets are under stress again, and this question comes back in your mind. So why not just go to cash and things until things are more simple, more data around the economy, more data around COVID-19, and then I'll get back into the market. And so on slide eight, we analyze this. And, and I, again, I have to pick an asset allocation and, and then show some changes, but this would be true in any asset allocation that the people listening to this are. So here's what we showed a, a, a prior experience of a, we always use a million dollar number because it's easy to scale. If you had a million dollar portfolio and you were spending $50,000 a year from it for living expenses, 5%. If you came into 2005, to the, the financial crisis, with a million dollar portfolio allocated 80 to 20, that's the green line. And you can see from 05 to 08, you're doing great, right? You're, you're, you're making money. Compare that to the 30-70 allocation, much more conservative, the blue line. You're up, you're up a little. The 80-20 who took risk is doing much better than you post.com going into the financial crisis. The 80-20, when 2000, late 2007-08-09 hit, you can see that green line falls precipitously. Okay, And what we show is the green investor who had a high allocation to stock in November of 2008, says, you know what? Lehman's gone. Um, Merrill Lynch has been sold. Bear Stearns is gone. I can't take this pain anymore. I got to get to cash. 80-20 is just way too painful for me. I loved it when markets went up, but at this point, I've got to stop the bleeding. And that green line now becomes the red dash because the investor is now in cash, has gotten out of the market, so protected the value. The only reason that red line is dashing down is because they're still spending that $50,000 a year for living expenses. Okay. And then we picked as the re-entry point to the market, April of 2012, because that's when we started to see flows back into the equity market. So that, that's the reason why we picked. And then that investor gets back in in 2012 when things have settled down and you actually now see in the data money coming back into the market. Look at the difference in experience. And I'm going to take you all the way to the right. The 80-20 investor who stayed in it the whole time, the green, had to experience a decline in their 80-20 of 46%. Remember, I showed you the all-stock portfolio was down 55 in the financial crisis, so the 80-20 is down 46. The 80-20 client who said, this is just too much for me, the world is upside down, and admittedly it was, and goes to cash, their drawdown is only 38, not the 46%. So they have clearly protected the, the decline, right? You can see in the early stages, the lowest number on that chart is the green around 09. The red has protected the loss. The 30-70 allocation, this is going to be really interesting for you down the, in, in two minutes, only experienced a 19% drawdown at the worst. So if you follow the blue line across the page, clearly it falls off in 08, 09 but not nearly to the slope of the line that the green line is, right? Look at the ending values for those three different experiences. If you're an 80-20 client, by the way, you can substitute in a 70-30 client, a 60-40, 50-50 client, whoever. If you maintained your asset allocation, and in this example, the 80-20, you started with a million dollars, you were spending $50,000 a year, and by the end of 2020, you had $1.4 million. 
Now, you went through a really difficult drawdown of 46%, and living through that slope of the line green down in 0809 is really scary. You ended up with 1.41. The red line, who avoids the worst of the 0809 by going to cash and then gets back in, actually only ends up with $710,000 at the end. Basically, half as much money than the client who stayed in invested in the same asset allocation. Half as much money. And what's really interesting is the 3070 client who said, hey, I'm just not that aggressive. I don't need to be. I want to be conservative. I don't want to have these wild swings. That client wound up with not only a lesser drawdown than the 80-20 client who went to cash, but they also wound up with more money. And so the lesson on this page, I think, is twofold. One, you really don't want to sell at the wrong time. And two, it's nearly impossible to time when to get back in. And three, this is why we talk so much about getting the asset allocation right in advance of a crisis. Because the fact that the 3070 client who we and they knew themselves better winds up with more money than the 8020 client who took more risk than they really could stand is in, in, in my opinion, both shocking and instructive, which says that you have to have the right allocation for the amount of pain you can withstand. And, and if we've done our job right, I don't care whether the client is the green or the blue line or any line in between, my job is to make sure they're not the red line. Because the red line is where losses occur and, and the return on markets is dramatically less in practice than it is in modeling, right? And so I think this is probably the most important chart in our discussions. Now, how does that become practical today? It goes back to some of the things that I said in December and January, and then again in our most recent call. If you sit here and say, okay, I'm the green line or I'm the blue line, whatever line you are, but this notion of going to cash is getting more and more attractive to me because I'm really worried, I would rather a client take five or 10% off the table and go a little from the green to the blue line to get peace of mind and still be invested for the recovery, whatever that may be, then get out and get out at the wrong time and become the red line. And, and by the way, remember that red line didn't sell at the bottom. They sold in November of 2008 at the bottom was until March. There will be people who sell in March of 2009 whose red line is significantly less. So I would encourage you and I to think more about, do I have the right asset allocation that I can withstand how bad this could get going forward? Now, we may already have the bottoms in, right? We, we can't say that with any type of precision, but I do think it's important for you in your own mind to say, okay, here's where I'm at. The earlier charts Mark showed me told me the likelihood I could be down 20% from here or 10% from here or 30% from here. Am I comfortable with that? If I am, stay the course. If I'm not, what do we do now to adjust in a way that gives you the peace of mind you need, but doesn't let you become the red line? So I've gone 30 minutes. I hope this was instructive for all of you. Um, I'm going to try and do more of these as markets dictate. Hopefully this was a, a pretty decent format with having some slides on the screen. My goal is to do another one of these in the next week to two weeks. I think the Mondays work. Um, we're going to have our, our quarterly review ready oh, probably in the next week or two. So my goal is to come back to you 
with another call in the next week to two weeks. And, and in that one, I think we'll open that up for questions. So I appreciate the confidence you have put in us through this period of time. I hope we've been there for you. And to the extent there's any questions on this, on the RFD topic or on your portfolios, please do not hesitate out to um, give a call, reach out to Amanda or myself. Just one technical note, a lot of our calls are getting forwarded directly to our cell phones or other numbers. So if you get anyone's personal voicemail, that is us. Um, we're just trying to make sure that no matter what number you're calling, you get us directly. So thank you for your time, and I look forward to being in touch soon. Thanks.